Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Spurs Lady 2 Plus podcast, because apparently we can't go one podcast without being late already. Um, and you know, it's year one, what are you going to do? We got to figure this stuff out anyways. Year one? Yeah. Year one? Yeah, this is the first time we've done anything like this, man. No, it is, but you're you're already putting a number on it. Let, let's see if we can even survive past the year. Even if I have to kick you off the show to make sure that we stay on time, we're doing this. You realize that a lot of the time you're late not because of me, right? No, yeah, I know. I'm not I'm not, you know, I'm just making a point, man. You're just gonna throw me under the bus while you can. Yes. Because I can. Because this isn't the first time you stopped us from doing things. And it won't be the last. Let's move on. <laughs> do you wanna have a new opening or do you think that's fine? No, that's fine. Keep it rolling. Okay. We're keeping all of this in. All right, so um, we've got two games to talk about. We got the Timberwolves games, and then we got the Thunder. Let's start with the Timberwolves. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so, TJ. Yeah, I know. I I didn't think that they would. Quite frankly, I didn't think that they would wrestle the Lowells that much. Honestly, some of that is true. Yeah, some of that's just being bad. Yeah, they, they played. All right. I think I described it best when we were watching the game when I said they lost the game because they played bad and the officials officiated bad. And I don't mean they officiated bad because they gave all the calls to the Timberwolves. I mean oh, no. they were just bad officials because there were just as many bad calls that went against the Spurs as they that went for the Spurs. The officials that game were god-awful. And I'm surprised that that was not the game where Pop yelled that all three of them were blind. True, but... We still lost because of us. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. No, let's I'm, talk about the refing, though, because, the, again, this is a commonality that both of these games share. Yes and no. Because, here's the thing. Some of this is because last year was so bad, so often, that this year doesn't seem as bad in comparison. Mm-hmm. And some of it is also because they had, like, four or five senior officials retire these past few seasons. Right. So there's a ton of young blood, relatively speaking. I mean, they're not young, but they're young in terms of at this level. Right. So because of that, I'm willing to give them this little bit. But yes, it's been bad. I don't remember if it was the T-Wolves game or the Thunder game, but there was one where like there were four or five possessions where one ref called it one way, and then the other ref called it the other, and they had to confer to figure out which one was the actual way it went. That was the Thunder game, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that did happen in the Thunder game. Okay, I'm just making sure, because I know it was one of these games where that happened multiple times, and I was starting right. to get annoyed by it. And we will we will get back into that when we get into the Thunder game, but, you know, this is a, this is a constant thing. It is a little bit of a growing process, because as you said, we're dealing with a lot of changes in the refing staff, but it is a little bit disconcerting that this is happening on a regular basis. I mean, yeah, to a degree. Some of it is also because the rules have changed a lot in the past few years. Some for the better, like getting rid of the Zaza rule and getting right. rid, rid of right. James Harden's ridiculous uh, loophole. Some of it not so much because you like to say it a lot, J.D. I do, and I, I just randomly outburst this. that I always am like, <sighs> if this was the 90s. And that seems to be like the common thing with all these people when they complain about how it's too soft this or hand check that. It's like if this were the 90s, if this were the aughts even, you could get away with this or that. But you can't. I mean, I do think they need to loosen up on some things. Like I do think they need to loosen up on the – at least in terms of like the center, uh, the center position with uh, 
the shake and bake and the uh, what's it called? You know, just grit and grind in the paint. Right. You because know, they grit really, style. The thing about it is that they're also discouraging that style of play. That's a big part of why we are dealing with as many perimeter three just shoot and go. It's not just because of the fact that it is so, you know, productive. That's part of it. And some of it is also because this is something that was going to happen anyways, the perimeter offense. Because you have to keep in mind, back in the 90s, even though, like in the 70s and 90s and 80s, for a long time, college basketball didn't have the three-point shot. Right. I mean, David Robinson spent most of his college career without a three-point shot. Right. So because of that, this is now the real first generation that does not know basketball without, without the three. three-point shot. Right. And again, I'm not saying that, that, that you know this is the reason that it was never going to happen. No, it was always going to happen. But I am saying that part of why we're seeing such an obvious, re- you know, more reason to push it so hard is the fact that it's you're almost penalized in this day and age for emphasizing playing in the paint because there's such a negligible area on what is and isn't contact anymore. And, and, and this wouldn't be as big of a problem in all likelihood if we still had some of those senior refs. But even then, like you said, the rules have changed so much that it becomes very difficult to be able to really make these calls and be consistent. Yeah, but at the same time, something I've noticed is that when you have those players like the Marcus Aldridge, who has somehow figured out, for the most part, how to play in the paint without being too, quote-unquote, physical, right? then you start to see domination in the paint. Like, the only reason LaMarcus didn't play 2-2-1 with the paint in the Thunder game is because he had Steven Adams on him, who knows how to defend in the paint. There's right. a reason why every time he was able to score on Steven Adams is because he, it was during his turn away, his fadeaway turn around jumper on the left side, on the left block that he loves so much because Steven Adams can't block, can't guard that as well as he can his paint. Right. So yes, it yes it, the Wolves right now do discourage playing hard in the paint. I will give you that. But at the same time, when you have players who start to learn how to truly play in the paint without quote unquote being too physical who are able to sort their size without, you know, going too hard, then that's when you start seeing dominance. And I feel like the Spurs right now are starting to learn how to do that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, but getting back to the the Timberwolves game, I do agree that some of it was bad officiating. And I do think that there are things they need to improve on. But I honestly don't think that was where the problem lied in losing that game. Oh, no, no. I'm just saying that that was a factor in the game and you have to right. call it the factors you do you it really wasn't do. the primary factor was if anything it was the smallest factor it really didn't mean too much because again it was just bad officiating all around it's just it was bad officiating and if i see bad officiating i'm gonna call it out right right honestly i think the big reason why we lost that game is just because we don't have Kawhi. yeah and we, when we don't have Kawhi, um or even tony like even if we had tony even if tony didn't take a sh- single shot we probably would have won that game. Yeah. Just because... Distribution. We, yeah, we've said this multiple times, but I'm just going to keep saying it because it's the truth here. We'd be a better team with Tony, even if he doesn't make a single shot, just because he allows the others to get better shots. Yeah. Because that's something they brought up because um, the Thunder game was a nationally televised game. With the exception of LaMarcus and maybe um, Rudy Gay, this team doesn't make their own shots. No. We have to either rely on ball movement or other shot makers to assist. 
Aldridge has been good about doing that this season. Very yes. good at doing that. But once defenses start realizing that we play through Aldridge and Aldridge alone at times, they, they will hack that. Exactly. That's not a consistent thing. Yeah, and I think we saw that a lot with the Timberwolves game, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, no, that was definitely a factor. And so because of that, I honestly think that it's, it's honestly just one of those games where we would have won if we were fully healthy. And I think a lot of these games we're losing, we can say the same thing too. It's not that we're playing terribly, although that is some of it. It's just that we don't have the personnel that we need to do this right. on a I consistent basis. I mean, the thing basis. is that we're, we're doing all things considered. When you consider all the factors at play, which is, of course, the longer opening, the shorter preseason, and the fact that we are playing without two key players, we're not doing that bad if you actually look at our record. Not at all. We're still top four in the West. And even a stacked be, West, mind you. And, and I mean, look at where we're at and look at where Golden State is, and they have less reason to be struggling as well. Well, Golden State hasn't been struggling too much recently. They've only lost like two or three games, which for the early league right now is very small, especially as we're moving forward. Really, where Golden State's problems have been is just that they've been very complacent. Yeah. And they also had a very hard front-loaded season. Right. Like, front-loaded, they faced a ton of top content, not top contender teams, but very tough teams. So now they're going on to a much easier season, and they won't really see any really hard teams for a while. Right. And even then, it won't be as compressed as it was in the early season. It was like the NBA schedule specifically designed it to where Golden State will look kind of valuable in the beginning. Because they probably were thinking that Golden State's just going to run through everyone immediately if we don't do something about it early Right, on, we had know? to kind of set the stage and schedule it accordingly. And if you look at the way that the Spurs season is set up right now... It was designed with Kawhi not being sick and it still being just the Kawhi show. Yeah. So there are certain games that they probably expected us to win, but after Kawhi was out, they kind of saw we would lose, but then we won because LaMarcus was playing great. Exactly. And then there are games that the crowd expected us to win, but we didn't do too hot on them because we don't have Kawhi. And, right. You know, and if you look at the teams that we're losing to, they're not exactly teams that have amazing, crazy offenses or amazing, crazy defenses. No, and the other thing is it's that— It's just more like matchup-wise, that they have players that do better against players we have because of a lack of— Ability a shot. Exactly. Well, let's think about who we lost against, too. So we lost against the Magic, who were doing way better than anyone thought they would do. Right. We lost against the Celtics, who, again, are doing way better, way better than, than they thought they would yeah. do. They are actually the top seed in the East, I believe, currently. They're like something in two or something. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing amazing, despite the fact that Gordon Haywood is out for the season. Um, let's see. Who else did we lose to? Uh, we lost to the Timberwolves. Again, we probably would beat him if we had Kawhi and or Tony. Golden State, but no Kawhi, no Tony. Again, yeah. yeah. Uh, Didn't have a see. chance Two there. more losses. Who else did we lose to? Uh, we lost, I think we lost to a bad team that we had no white losing to because that's just one of those things. That, that was one of those days do. that we just completely could not The Warriors shoot. always lose to the Knicks and the Lakers every year. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and let's see. We had a sixth loss. Who was the sixth loss? I can't remember. But like the, the other two... The other two teams that I can't remember who we lost to were, you know, weaker teams, so... Did you mention the Pacers yet? Oh, the Pacers, that's who it was. Yeah. So it was the Pacers and one other team that I can't remember, but the point is, 
the majority of our losses have been up against good teams who are either doing better than their expectations and or and or or we couldn't really hang with them because we didn't we weren't completely healthy. Like Celtics Warriors, if we had Kawhi, we probably would have hanged in with them and maybe even beaten them. Now, keep in mind, when we're saying, like, hanging, it's not necessarily that we can't beat them in a single game. Like, I honestly do think we could steal a game from the Warriors. Without Kawhi? Without Kawhi. But if you were to go into a best-of-seven series, we might get one game and then get swept, or we might get one game before getting a gentleman sweep. And that's if we really work hard at it. With Kawhi, I think we have a good chance of beating them still. Yeah. Because when we're fully healthy... Especially with the way Lamarcus is playing, absolutely. And with the improvements that Danny Green's had, oh with my! The improvement that Kyle God. Anderson has had. Honestly, you know what tells me that if we add Kawhi, we can go all the way. What? The Thunder game. Yeah, let's talk about the ice dagger in a second. Because there's one more thing I want to talk about the Timberwolves game, and this isn't really about the game itself. It's just something I noticed when it come when I was watching it. I realize that I'm the uh, guy every single basketball purist hates right now. And why is that? Because for the first, like, five minutes, I could not hear the uh, music they were playing in the arena. I don't even know if they played music in the arena. Oh, my God. And it was completely bugging me. Oh, my God. I get that there's a lot of people who hate the music in the arena, think it's too loud, and that there are players who think it's uh, distracting. I understand that. I'm not disagreeing. But as a spectator, I prefer there being music in the arena. At least the organ music, like what the Lakers do. But I need I need noise, okay? It, you're just getting, just you're, the you're, game noise is too too little for me. You are literally getting in the way of me talking about Danny Green, the Ice Dagger, to talk about arena music. Yes, I am, dude. Because you have to understand, this is something that's kind of been building throughout basketball culture and just basketball fans for a while now. At least in the past few years. Because there's a lot of purists, a lot of like older fans and purists who long for the old times, who want that silence back, or at least just going back to just the organ. And I agree with the organ thing. I think that we need to have a little more of the organ stuff, even if it's just audio bites. But I notice it when it's missing, when, when there's no songs. Like, some of it is the San Antonio in me. Because right. I know, didn't you say, TJ, didn't you read somewhere that you were telling me that you read somewhere that there there was a survey that said that San Antonio pumps the music up the loudest. I thought I read that somewhere. I I could be totally wrong. Yeah, I could have sworn it was on that. the Reddit too, like both yeah. and our NBA and our NBA Spurs. Right, and the thing is that like there are certain songs that they always play uh, over the loudspeaker. Like I know they're always going to do separate ways from Journey. There's always going to be Smooth Criminal. You know, and they always do that, and the team always plays kind of well. I think some of that is just, like, trying to bring in that home court advantage thing. Right. Because basketball is one of those sports where home court advantage really only matters if you got a really big crowd. Because if you notice a lot of uh, away games, like for the Spurs, half the stadium is sometimes Spurs fans, especially right. for those really bad teams. Oh, yeah. So home court advantage kind of doesn't exist anymore. And the only you know, the only sport that nowadays really has home court advantage is baseball. Right. 
or home field advantage for them, I yeah, should yeah. say. I mean, I, there's a little bit of it in football, but not really the same way that it is in baseball. I mean, baseball takes it to a whole other level to the point that because they don't regulate the size of the stadiums, the fields, and stuff like that for baseball, it's it's completely different than what you have in basketball. And I think the big thing um, that kind of causes this, this change really has to do with just the geography switch because – basketball traditionally has been such a coastal sport and when you when you really look at what teams have been more successful it's moved more towards the western conference and on top of that you also are having to deal with the fact that you have the rise of teams like the spurs like the bulls like denver for a while there and of course you this list is incomplete without okc because you have all these teams that are firmly midwest Way to bury the seven seconds of less suns, bro. Well, hey, Phoenix is over in Arizona. I mean, that they might as well be West Coast without being West Coast. But, you know, jokes aside, that all is, and of course, you know, Texas is, south, is Southwest. But still, the point is that you're, you're seeing a geography change significantly in terms of where the really big teams are. And I think that's having a big effect on what the sports culture is. And, you know, these are, these are areas that are very loud in terms of their... They're fans. You're not going to have the classic, um, straight up New York style of a very like New York Boston silence. It's not really as much of that. You're going to see more of the influence of, I mean, even even L.A. does it as well, where you got they're pumping the organ music and stuff like that. I mean, they they were. I would say that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and call me out if I'm wrong, but the Lakers always had a little bit more showmanship inside Staples. In terms of what they they played, not to the extent of something like, you know, AT and T, where it's loud, but they they get in on it too. Oh yeah, especially for their honestly, where they are really egregious over in Staples, and this goes for both the Lakers and this and the Clippers. They have the most ridiculous um, starting lineup. They've literally got a projector above the court, right? Where they literally have, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Graphics that they project on top of the court that's shaped for the court itself. Like, you know the stuff they do at Disney World for their, uh, you know, for, like, their shows on the castle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. That makes sense, though. It's it's L.A. I mean, they've got the money. They do it. And they probably also justify it because, like, it's not just for one team. Both teams can use it. Exactly. Two budgets. So, no, yeah, L.A. definitely has their showmanship uh, card in full force right now. And and the thing is that the Western Conference has always had that kind of feel to it. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm going to go off on a tiny change, but why do they never do half at Lakers, half those court games? Seriously. Um, why? I th- there is no true home court advantage for eight for the Clippers. <laughs> Let's be real here. It's yeah. Lakerland. I think Even at Clippers games, it's going to be mainly Lakers fans. If I recall correctly, it just has to do with the floors not being compatible with each other. Is that something like that? Like this, like the, each floor has a different seating arrangement? It's probably just some dumb thing like the rules say it has to be since this is their home game, it has to be their court. We know that other teams have shown that you can do alternate courts. I mean, Toronto does it for the the Huskies. Yeah. A yeah. ton did it a ton last season. I think they might do it again this season. I don't know for sure. Too bad we'll never get a Chaparrales, right, guys? Huh? Huh? No, okay. I, I want them to bring back Fiesta for a couple of nights. <laughs> that, that's oh, all oh, I need. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, that's just something I wanted to talk about because it was bugging me. Um, I know I'm probably in the minority when it comes to the online. I don't know if you guys care about that. Please say so either 
in comments of the blog or if someone reposts this on our NBA Spurs, like I've seen that one dude do. Thank you so much there. for doing that, by the way. Yes, thanks. Okay, so let's let's get back on track to the Thunder game. Right, right. Um, okay, so do we want to start with Danny Green or do we just want to start with the game itself? Let's just go and start with the game itself. Um, I'll have to let my Danny Green love wait just a little bit longer. No, you don't, because Danny Green starts the game off by stealing the ball off the tip and going for a floater. So there you go. Danny Green love right away, bro. There we go. Okay, so here's the thing. So first of all, this needs to be a thing because Mr. Icy Hot himself, not so Icy Hot anymore. Um, he, it's, he, even when he's not hitting those threes, he's still no longer a complete liability. This is something we have the numbers to back up now, finally. And that's beyond his impressive defense, which, of course, this game he has just on hand in spades. Like, literally anywhere you go on this court, Danny is going to be there to stop you. Oh, no doubt. He had, like, crazy defensive plays. He was stealing the ball. He was getting blocks. He blocked a shot and then immediately went for a three-pointer on the other end. Now, to be clear, the this is all before, this is all later after this frustrating first quarter, which we'll, we'll get back into that in a minute. Um, but my deal with Danny Green is that every time he hits that three, I, I don't think he's icy hot anymore. I think he's just ice, period. Either he's just iced and can't hit anything because he can't get hot, or he's just ice cool with that ice dagger. So you're calling him George Gervin. Kind of. Cause here's the thing, when a Danny when a Danny Green three hits, it is a dagger to the heart. Because it always goes in clean. He doesn't do dirty threes. Is it as smooth as George Gervin's finger roll? Yeah, it is. I'm going there. Do you agree with that, Tage? For the most part. Okay, then we can call him Ice Dagger, I guess. We can't it, call it, him just Ice, because that's, that's no, George No, 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 that's Gervin. That's Ice Man. Yeah, that's that's ice. done. The throne is his. George Gervin for the, for the shot, boy. You can't take that. But you can't give him a dagger. Okay, so Danny Green was great this game. Absolutely. Him but the Spurs and... did not start out great this game. No, no, they did not. And it was it was hair pulling inducing. I mean, it was not a good start at all, at all. You guys want to elaborate on that? Because I would. It got to the point where I actually I had a couple other things I needed to get done during that part of the quarter, and it was going so frustratingly bad. I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna take five. Yeah, it was just a ton of turnovers and a ton of. Paul George and Carmelo and Wessel Westbrook taking advantage of those turnovers and Steven Adams being coming back and being a good, you know, post defender. Yeah, just a good big. And it was just it was bad. Bad. It, it was horrible. We were down the Spurs were down by twenty three points by in, in, in the first quarter. Manu did some bad turnovers, but yeah. the thing is that as I've told you guys many times, I always have the same reaction to bad money passes that I have to good money passes. Just money things. Because that's just what he does. He's got, he's got, because I think Cedar was the one who said this. The difference between a great pass and a bad pass is where the guy catches it. 
Well, it's, it's true because that's how all like great plays usually kind of are. It's these ridiculous gambles that if you make it, that's the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. But if you miss it, you're like, why would you ever do that? Yeah. So that's why we don't really beat up on Manu at all for those things because it's just what he does. It's his style. You know, the thing is that the system traditionally is set up to prevent that from happening, but Manu has and always will be the exception because of the type of player he is. He needs that freedom and flexibility to be able to do those things because, you know, if you don't give it to him, he's just not going to be as effective of a player. It is what he does. It's very similar to what we're having to do with LaMarcus, where it's like, you know, generally as a spur, you don't get your hands on the ball that much, especially in the era where Kawhi is the centerpiece. But what we've seen from both games where LaMarcus has gone off majorly when Kawhi wasn't around, it's the fact of the matter is LaMarcus cannot get into a groove if you don't get him touches on the ball. And I think that's the important thing, touches. He's not a ball hog in terms of shooting. Nope. Especially if, you, if you've been paying attention, if nothing else, if you only take away one thing, LaMarcus is not a ball hog. If you really sit down and watch the games, he doesn't hog the ball. He barely holds it much. But by getting those touches, he's able to get into that rhythm, and more often than not, he actually passes out of the post. Yep. But it's those touches and that rhythm that allows him to be so good that when he does take that shot, he's super efficient right now. Because he's in the mode. He's not like... That's the thing. It, it, there's something to be said about the repetition of just touching the ball that gets you into that zone that you're able to actually be effective. And the thing is that when you don't have that, that repetition, that ritual, I can see how that would totally botch your shot. I think it goes back to just that idea of staying in the gym by yourself. When you're in the gym by yourself, no one else is sharing the ball with you. You're by yourself, and so you're getting these. You're you're doing that practice by yourself. You're getting this motion, so you're dribbling the ball, and some of the best players do that. Like Kawhi is infamously always at the gym. Right. Duncan spent a ton of time at the gym. Even Kobe, mm-hmm. I know, is not your favorite. No. But even you but. admit that he spent a ton, yep. a ton of you time. You can't at the gym. take that away from him. And that's how he got as good as he was. Yep. And that's how all these guys got as good as they, as they are. And some of these players who are known for needing those touches being a little bit of a ball hog I think it's because that's how they are comfortable because they spend that time in the gym maybe not as much as some other people but that time in the gym they get comfortable when they have the ball in their hands I think every player is like that to a certain extent right some players not so much like Danny Green and his lack of being able to dribble until recently right but that's how most people are because that's how they first started playing basketball and learning how to play and learning how to shoot yeah but I think the thing that really sets this Thunder game apart, which is what I was actually the reason why I feel like once we get Kawhi, we can go all the way. And I'm, I, I'm confident in saying this because, like I said, we were down 23 points. Then we go into the second, we go into the second quarter. You know, we're still kind of down. Right. But Pop gave them this coaching that turned it around, and all of a sudden they go on a run and dig deep and get it into a, like a nine-point lead but for the Thunder going into the second ha- half. Yeah, this was easily one of the most impressive Spurs comebacks I've seen this season. It was the third largest Spurs comeback in the Popovich era. It was the, wow. It's actually the largest comeback of the season so far. Wow. Tied all, all NBA. For all of the NBA. Okay, so, so basically what you're saying is I came back at literally the perfect time because I, I, I'd stepped away 
I had, I had to get some stuff worked on the computer at about like two minutes into the game. Didn't come back until like four minutes into the uh, first. Yes and no. Because you showed up right after what I feel is the key point of the game where the tide turned. Keep in mind, when I say this, I know that we didn't get the lead until the fourth quarter. So keep that in perspective. But right. I think the thing that really put us back in the game, that got reset that momentum and got us got our minds in the game, was when LaMarcus did that running slam dunk. Yeah. Because he did you missed it and that's we were complaining right. because ESPN right. did not play it over in the replay. Even Which though is that, weird. that's what they want. That's the it was the ESPN highlight. Literally something running yeah. in, holding the you know, slam dunking the ball. Same and slamming it down so hard that the that the backboard and the rim rattle. It's like the traditional ESPN NBA shot where you just want to see it from the from the dunk cam. Slow-mo cam, from yeah. The, from the dunk cam where it's like one in the floor, bam, and it shakes. It's like the traditional ESPN NBA shot, and they didn't show it. Yeah. Why? But the point is, like, that was the one. I think he straight up slam dunked it when we were 23 points down. Yeah. And so because of that, even though it still took the whole rest of the game to actually get the lead, that was the one where it's that like, was the no, guys, shot. we're here to play. Yeah, well, that was the energy shot. I no think doubt. it's because that was really – I think that was a little bit after uh, Pop gave them that coaching because the thing is that the coaching, which I'm dancing on because I want to say it now. I, the coaching was, the way Pop described it, an attitude change, and I quote, from poor me to screw you. No, I agree. And, I, and you can see it. I honestly think that play was the moment where they went from poor me to screw you. I think, like, LaMarcus, obviously Pop said something, but I think LaMarcus was the first one really taking it to heart, and he's like, you know what, you're right, I'm done with this. Slam. And everyone else is like, yeah, he's right. Because that, that's, that's one thing I will say that a lot of people complained about LaMarcus these past few years, and not without merit. This is right. one of the times where I will say that they were right to an extent. Lamarcus and his quote unquote leadership issues. Now yeah. I think that there's this misguided opinion in not just the NBA but sports in general, where the best player has to be this leader. Even though we hire head coaches to do all this. Right. Or that the best player has to set an example. Even though there's a lot of veterans that are supposed to do this. No matter how old or young this best player is, he's gotta be the leader. He's gotta be the guy. He's gotta be the example. The problem is that LaMarcus was put into a system where they flat out told him, you're not. Yes and no, because he was brought in to, supposed to be, what, he was supposed to be the Tim Duncan replacement. Not necessarily replacement necessarily, but he was supposed no, to be the guy that you're going to come in. We know Tim Duncan's on his way out. And that's why we're getting you. And you're going to be a focal point of our team. Right. And keep in mind, none of us thought we all knew Kawhi would be great. But keep in mind how young he is—he's still like what twenty-five. We 26. thought he was still getting twenty-six. Time to he just developed. twenty-six. Exactly. Still, we thought that he wouldn't get to where he is now until he was twenty-eight, which, by the way, is normal for players of his caliber. Because remember, when people first got him, when we first got him, we thought it was going to be just the next Bruce Bowen, Bruce Bowen two point We didn't realize he had this offensive game. Yeah. We didn't realize he would grow this fast, nor at this rate. We didn't realize that he was the second coming of Jordan. Because most, most players, either they're great. Hot take. Most, Always. Because remember, most players, either they're great coming into the league and they get better, or people expect them to be great. Or they're only all right and they stay all right. Right. 
Kawhi cool. was all right uh-huh. and became great. Yeah. He, he's evidence that our coaching staff are that good because he was willing to develop. Now, that's the thing I want to say. Our coaching staff was a huge part of it. But I think Ka- Kawhi would eventually get this good even with other coaching staffs. Because that's the thing. I think he would be this good 28 years if he was with other teams. That people would be like, whoa, he really matured into that player. Not into what he is now. It's like, how did how did people skip this? How did we not see this coming? Right. Because of the rate it's going. I think that the Spurs accelerated his growth. I think he would still have grown to this. But I don't think he would have grown it would have at taken this longer. rate. And at this, yeah. at, you know, at this no, efficiency. No, for sure. Yeah. Without I, the Spurs. Right. Because I don't well, want to take away from Kawhi. Kawhi, no. he's always going to be. And you can't. Him. You can't. I'm just saying that he is simultaneously one of the one of the greatest players of all time just by nature of, of you know, who he is and the way he plays. But also the fact that he, his personality and his ability to really be core to the system, embrace the Spurs system, and reshape the Spurs system in a lot of ways. I mean, let's face it. Pop basically reshaped it, reshaped it in Kawhi's image over the past couple of years. And, and, and that's part of why we've had the problems with LaMarcus. I was let's going, be real. I was going to say, because part of the thing is, and this is why I was bringing up the whole leadership thing, people are like, the leadership of Kawhi, this is like, he's 26. Half the team is older than him by a good five years. Yeah. The other half are either his age or a little younger than him. Why does he have to be the leader just because he's the best player? Why can't he, as still a 26-year-old, when half the team's 30, 32, and older, who have been in the league for longer than he has, at a higher level than he has, he may be at a higher level than them now, but they were at a higher level than him for a long time. Yep. Why can't he still learn from them? Why can't they lead and him soak all that in so that when they're gone he can be an even better leader what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that and this is where i'm going to lamarcus lamarcus is at the point where his age plus um player capability now's the time when you expect him to lead especially when we signed him right and that's why the between the talk and between his performance since the talk he's doing it yeah he wasn't doing that these the the past few years and i think some of that is because he didn't know he could Mm-hmm. And probably he didn't know that he was expected to. Well, the and other, some of it, yeah. I think, is that people weren't expecting him to. Yeah, and, and and a lot of it is because you have to remember where he was coming in from. For him, I think it was it was a lateral move in order to you know partially because of of the fact that he wanted to come back to Texas, but also you have to look at what what was going on with him over at Portland, and and look at what he was trying to get away from. And remember, it was all really the organization because. Uh, Damian Lillard has gone on the record saying that there was no bad blood between him and LaMarcus. LaMarcus said, hey, they, they want to make it your team, and you know what? I'm leaving. It can be your team. And I think that's... And that, he said all I right. think some of it, and I think that's part of it. I don't think it was an ego issue. There's ego involved. No, There's always yeah, ego no, involved. Absolutely. And I, I say that as someone who generally doesn't have a big ego, but, you know, I want to be a businessman. Ego has to be a part of it. As far as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. My point is, there's always ego involved, but think about it from... Lamarck's perspective. He was one of the best Blazers. He wanted to retire as a Blazer. He said so himself. He gave the team his all. His contract's coming up. He's done as much as he can. And instead, they they give all their attention to this new young kid 
they're essentially saying all that work he did, yeah, that's cool and all, but he he's better than you. He's going to be better than you, and he's going to be the one to bring us to the promised land. And all that work you gave us doesn't really matter too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Thanks for it, but we don't. It, it, it's like that senior engineer at an animation company saying, "Thanks for all you've done, but we don't want to give you a promotion." Yeah, we don't want to. You know, he hit that glass ceiling in Portland, just straight up. Yeah, and when he came over here, I think that that was that that became a bit of a concern because it's like, oh god, here we go again. The difference is he knew going in, this is Kawhi's team. No, but I think the difference is I think you yourself, JD, said it. And when it comes to like engineers, at least sometimes you make that lateral move in engineering from one company to another just because even though you're not really moving up. There's more potential to move up when you make that lateral mm-hmm. move because you, they don't, the company, or in this case, the team, doesn't see you pigeonholed to where you once were. Right. And some of that right now, yeah, he knew it was going to be Kawhi's team. But the thing is, the Spurs aren't anyone's team. Even right. when it was Tim Duncan, it was always the big three. It was always Tim Duncan, Tony, and Manu. The only time that wasn't the case was 2003. From 2002 to 2004, it was Tim's team. Before then, it was Tim and Robinson's. Before after, then, it was Robinson. But that was sometimes Elliot if he could actually shoot. Right. And then afterwards, it was the big three. And, and I just want to say really quickly, when I say Elliot's when he can actually shoot, I don't mean that he wouldn't make it. I mean that he literally wouldn't shoot. He was called Mr. Hesitation for a reason. But, you know, this is the first time since Tim Duncan... That's like whose team is it really? Yeah, we all say it's Kawhi's. We all say it's Kawhi's team. And, and in terms of the way that it's designed, that's not for debate. It's built around him. He's the cornerstone. Kawhi is the centerpiece, no doubt. But is it really his team? And this goes back to my leadership thing. Is it really his job to be the leader? And personally, I don't think it is. It's his job to be the best. It's his job to be the foundation. I think in three seasons... It'll be his job yes. to lead. Yes, but right now, at least for sure the last two seasons, it's not his job to be the leader. It's no. LaMarcus and it's mm-hmm. Tony Parker. Yes. There's a reason Tony's captain. Yeah. It's their job to be the leader. LaMarcus is doing it right now, and I guarantee you when Tony comes back, he's going to do it just as much. The big thing is... They the the reason that the Spurs really have struggled, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, is that you from a player leadership standpoint, you're running into this issue where it all has always the linchpin of all these losses is that Kawhi couldn't strap the whole team to his back and finish the job. Because the thing is that no one can do that. I don't care how many times you see, you see these games where LeBron does it. Even then, if you look at how he's doing it, in a series, he can't do that. He can do a game here and there, just like Kawhi can. But have you ever seen? Have you ever seen? Tell me, tell me straight. Have you ever seen LeBron James strap that team to his back and carry them the whole series by himself? He only did something like that once, and that was carrying his team. Throughout the entire playoffs to the 2007 finals. And what happened then? He got swept by the Spurs. There's only so much you can do as one player. And it's important to remember that at that time, everyone was underestimating him. LeBron? 
Yeah. This was not the same. You know, 2007 was when people thought, oh my God, he's the second coming of Jordan because he's taking this team who has no right of being in the NBA Finals to the NBA Finals. Right, but that's the whole thing. It's like, you, even though that's going on, that's the media hype, as a coach, put yourself in the coaching staff's perspective. Yes, he's a top prospect, but are you really, are you really taking him that seriously to the level of magnitude that you would now? Because that's the thing. It was one of those things that's like, it's kind of fluky. That's the whole reason that he got shut down so hard. Well, the thing is, you want to know why he was insane? And people, I don't think realize this because they don't do math, but do the math. But LeBron James came into the league in 2003 draft, right? I think so. That means his first year in the league was the 0304 season, correct? Yeah. 2007 was the end of the 2006-2007 season. 0304, 0405, 0- 0506, 0607. He's a rookie. What made LeBron James insane at the time is that was the last year of what would have been his rookie contract. Right? I think so. That's what made it insane. That's why people were, that's why the hype cycle was around him. Now that's when you can understand why the hype cycle was around him. But what you also gotta remember is that even as good as he was, even as good as he is. He still can't get it done because one man can win a game, but one man cannot win a series. There's a reason why he didn't win until he went to Miami, and there's there's a reason why they won in Cleveland when they had him and Kyrie and Kevin Love. And getting to what you were saying, I do kind of agree that I don't think people would have had that same reverence for him even back then for two reasons. One, he came from straight out of high school. Right. So, because of that, and this goes for any sport with prospects, they look good now, but how will they actually perform? And this goes to reason number two, and this is my prime prime evidence. Christian Leitner. Yep. He won four straight championships in college. Footnote in the NBA. At best. Sometimes you peak too early. You forgot to mention one of the biggest accomplishments he had. Being on the dream team. Exactly. He was the 1992 dream team. So, you know, back then, yeah, he's great. He looks to be amazing. But until he actually is amazing, you can't tell for sure. Especially when, like you said, rookie contract. The fact that he took them to the 2007 finals, that's when the, that's why the whole narrative changed then. Because that's when it's like, no, he's for real. Because he straight up did this. Right. Yeah, he can't do it on his own. But he's so young. What about when he gets older? Yeah, he still wasn't able to do it then. Even when Cleveland, he needed to get Kyrie Irving and Kevin mm-hmm. Love to do it. And they had to be super into luxury tax to do it. But he still won three and, rings. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to get to is that whether we liked it or not, going back to the whole LaMarcus situation, because that's really what this all comes down to. Right. Um, we made the mistake of not engineering that team with LaMarcus in mind? Yes and no. We built the team the way we built the team because we don't build teams around one singular player with the exception of Tim Duncan, okay? But we build the team like you would... I hate using this because I'm not sure if everyone will get this. Like an eSports team. Like when you play a MOBA or even Overwatch or Team Fortress, Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike especially... You get different people who are good at different skills, and you try to match all these complementing skills. 
and you match it to the team philosophy. This is how all teams do this. But the Spurs have a very specific philosophy, which is we need to get the best scorers who are amazing defenders. If you can't play defense, you're not on our team. And that kind of limits because you got guys like James Harden and other guys who are so good at offense. They suck at defense, but they're so good at offense that maybe you shouldn't care too much. But that's not the Spurs' way. Yeah, no, if you can't defend, you're not a good player. Bye. And I think some of that is because that's how we built around Duncan. Right. Well, a lot of it is because we've always played with high basketball IQ. Right. So because of that, when it comes to building around LaMarcus, no, we never built around LaMarcus. And we kind of have built around Kawhi in terms of skill set. But that's only because Kawhi is such a versatile guy that you can build around him and it won't change anything. Uh Uh-huh. But what we did do wrong is not tailoring the offensive plays and sets around LaMarcus. We weren't passing the ball to where he would be. We made Mm -hmm. him have to get out of his spots when his spots are his spots for a reason. Right. Because he's so good at those spots. Right. We just didn't know what we were getting. I think that's the biggest thing. We knew what we were getting, but we didn't realize what we were actually getting, which is that it's not that he's this immovable brick. I mean, he's willing to work with you, obviously. He's playing so much center right now. Yeah. And Something that he flat out said he never wanted to do. He came to San Antonio to not play Seno, and now he's playing the majority of his minutes at Seno, and he's happy. He's smiling. He's making jokes. He's being able to have fun, and he's playing Seno. So it's no, it's not we're it's not that we're just appealing to Lamarcus or bending no. at his every whim. No, no, there's there's compromise happening on both sides. There's a lot of give and take, but the point is that it's now the spot where everyone's happy. And if this continues with the return of of Kawhi, if this continues with the return of Tony, that I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the best Spurs teams we have had in a very long time. It will, and for two reasons. One, I have no doubt it will continue when Tony and uh, Kawhi come back. Tony for sure, because Tony's used to this kind of play, especially with Tim Duncan. Maybe not in terms of the same spots, but he knows where guys like to get the ball. And he will get you the ball there. He was the only guy who consistently do it with Lamarcus the past right. few seasons. That's why he played better with Tony on the floor and not on, and not when he was off it. Right. That's the first thing. So I know Tony Kawhi. We've explained this before. TJ and I talked about this on the podcast before. Kawhi doesn't need the ball to be great. No. Unlike everyone else, he doesn't need the ball. And you know our proof. We don't even need to say this is hypothetical. We have proof. Twenty fourteen. Yep. He was not a ball hog. He barely got the ball too much in 2014. Still scored 20 points for the three games that he pretty much won the FMVP trophy. Will he get more touches than then? Obviously. He's too good to not get those touches. It's Kawhi. But he will be able to easily share the ball with LaMarcus, no doubt. No problem. He actually might get better shots because of it. Most likely. I'm hoping so. I'm really, really hoping so. Um, All that is to say that this comeback was absolutely insane. It was wonderful to watch. And that goes back to my second point of what I was trying to make. We'll be better when Kawhi and Tony come back because Kawhi and Tony are out. These guys who might not get as many minutes are getting so much more minutes. We're seeing Mm -hmm. more of Brim Forbes than I ever thought we would. Absolutely. We're seeing more of Kyle Anderson than I ever thought we would. We're allowing... it's, It's allowing us to let Rudy Gay get some quality minutes to get back into things. And we need that. Rudy Gay, man. He is, you know how I always say, I've said this multiple times, so I'm going to keep saying it. There's always that one guy who you're watching the game like, he didn't play too well. Then you actually see a stat sheet and like, wait That's a Rudy second. Gay. Especially this game, because I remember saying, eh, he's been having a bad game, then I see three of six. 
he's having a bad game because you're not seeing him get too many shots, but he's pl- shooting 50%. Yeah, he's actually having a better game than you think he is. He's just not getting open, which is better because that means he's playing smarter. It's better to see he's not getting many shots, but he's hitting them, than him having like two of seven, two of eight. Right. Because that means he's being smart about how he's getting his shots, not just that he's getting them. I actually saw something that is really, really good too about Rudy Gay. Uh, there was, I can't remember who the guy was on Twitter, but a, a journalist for the sports. Uh, wrote on Twitter that he saw the greatest exchange backstage, back in the locker room. Rudy Gay came in and saw Powell and immediately said, Powell wall, baby, to which Powell responded, what did it do? And the whole, um, the whole locker room laughed. We don't get that reference because, let's face it, CJ doesn't listen to rap, and I don't listen to that. We don't listen to that much rap, but I looked it up. It is based off of a rapper, and the fact that they all got that reference and they all were laughing and having a good time just shows that the guys like and ha- like Rudy Gay, and they like hanging out with him. When your locker room enjoys being together, that translates on the court. It really goes a long way. That's how you build the chemistry. No doubt. And prime example, the Astros. One of the big yeah. things, I was reading the post-World Series coverage, and one of the big things that they kept highlighting was the reason the Astros were so good was because they were so well-connected in the locker room. Right. Guys like... You know, Jose Altuve, George Springer, Kyle Correa, you know, Carlos, Carlos Correa. Correa. Sorry. All those guys were so close and they had such a close knit that it translated onto the field that they knew where each other would be. Alex Bregman even. They were all like that close and they liked each other so much. Even though they were all these weird personalities, they were all very personality dominant people, they were able to super coexist. That's something that the Spurs have always been very good about. And right. that's the true key to championship culture. It's not about getting great players or having – it's about what Pavich says, having people who are over themselves, who don't care too much too much about their ego, about themselves, and it's about the ego of the team. Right. It's about being great as a team. Exactly. It's about saying as a team, not poor me, screw you. And that's why they did well. They said collectively as a team, you know what, let's stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Let's take it to the Thunder and show them, no, you're not better than us. We're better than you, and we don't even have two of our best players. It was a very, very cathartic comeback, and it felt good. And Molly redeemed himself from those affirmation turnovers in the fourth quarter by making two threes that gave us the lead. So there you go. Thanks, Manu. Just Manu things. We will always love you, even when you make bad passes. How do you do the voodoo that you do so well? It's a good question. All right, I think we've just about... Talked about everything we can about about these past couple games. When's the next one? The next game is tomorrow, I think. No, it's actually uh, two days from now. It's on the 20th. It is against the Hawks. 8.30. I believe it's Fox Sports Southwest game. Sorry, bud. Um, actually, it's 7.30. Sorry, because it was 8.30 Eastern. 7.30 Central. So, day before Turkey Day. That's pretty much a gimme. The Hawks are the worst in the East right now. There we go. And the East is weak, so. Now, um, something that might affect the scheduling again, because we're horrible about that, is, um, of course, Turkey Day, because of our setup uh, here at our home studio. It may be a little bit difficult for us to get away in order to record it, but we will do our best. I'm sure the fan that we're having over will understand, and... I'm sure it'll work out. There may be some weird background noise that you normally would not hear, random outbursts, all that stuff. You know how it goes. It's it's Texas. It's it's Thanksgiving in Texas. You guys know how this goes. 
Yeah, there was something I was wanting to talk about around the league, but I can't find it. So I guess we're going to have to end it here unless you guys have anything around the league you want to talk about. Well, what was it? Like, do you remember anything about it? I might remember it. It was probably something either about Houston or Golden State, but I can't remember. Was it about Houston scoring 90 in the first quarter? I think first, either quarter or first. No, it was the first half. No, it wasn't that. I knew about that. I just didn't care too much. You know, it's like the Rockets are fine. I just don't like James Harden. I'm never going to like him. I, There's nothing wrong with him. I just don't like him. He's a great player. I can accept that. He's a terrible defender, and I'm th- going to make sure you why. know that. But I think that's why we you'll never like him. You're a Spurs fan. You care about defense. You'll never like James Harden. He's every—I'm I'm sorry, Harden, because he's everything that you hate about modern basketball. Because he has no D. He doesn't know what a D is. I just can't think of what I was wanting to talk about. I— uh, I can't find it. Do you remember the guy who keeps posting all stuff on on baseball so we can thank him? Oh yeah, let me let me pull let me pull his name up because we're pretty much wrapping up. So yeah. I do want to shout out the dude. Yeah, and the other thing is that um if if you do remember between now and the next episode, or if you guys um want us to talk about anything, please 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 comment on our page as well as on any uh our NBA Spurs posts posts, or if you for some reason decide to share this with the main RNBA. Uh, be sure to uh, let us know there. We would love to talk about the going-ons in the rest of the league, um, as you do. And uh, until then, uh, shout-outs. Yeah, shout-out to 1SP. I should have known he was a cool guy because he's got Aldridge as his flair. It's a number 12 Aldridge. Excellent choice. And up until the season started, that was not a popular flair. No. Um. But since the season has started, you're starting to see a lot more people say I was wrong to doubt. I'm buying because that's one Aldridge the, jersey as my protest. That's I'm honestly not one of the things that I laugh at. It's like before the season, we're like trade Aldridge. Everyone, not us, obviously, but a lot of people like trade Aldridge. He hates being here. Blah blah blah. And then it's like, but he's only contract year, so maybe he'll play well for that. Then he signs an extension. Then he starts playing well again. Exactly. So it's like, well, there goes the money incentive, but he's playing super well. The only thing, I don't even think, for a while there, it used to be already, were we letting him play well to trade him? But then that kind of died down when he just kept playing well, and we stopped. I don't know why we stopped talking about trade pieces. I think people started realizing we just want to keep him. Again, they stopped talking about trade pieces when Pop kept saying, I was wrong it's my bad. 98% of the problem with Aldridge on me. And you don't say that when you're going to trade someone. One thing I will say, the funniest thing, honestly, the funniest backpedal of this whole thing is not the LaMarcus Aldridge. Although that one's great. It's the Pal Gasol deal. I'm starting to see more and more people saying, hey, Pal Gasol is great. His deal sucks, but he's making it not hurt as much. Way to be big. You can play. Yes. That's what you were wanting to talk about. That probably was, because it's like, that's the thing when it comes to Pau Gasol. Yes, I've said it multiple times, I'll say it again. The deal still sucks. But he's playing so well that you don't care too much anymore. Way to be big, pal. Way, Way to, to be, be big. big. You can play. You know how to play. You know how to play. We love you, big guy. Okay, any last comments you guys want to say? Way to be big. Go, this was go. You know how to play. See you guys next time.